everyone. Welcome to Keto and Crime and Thought Crime. Uh, today we're delving back into the world of uh, the Chad Daybell Lori Vallow case with my deep dive into the world of Jason Mao. Uh, I want to preface this by saying that, you know, there's not an actual biography of Jason Mao, so I only had to depend on articles, uh, you know, uh, police reports, uh, doing some own sleuthing on my own via Facebook and other places to kind of piece this together. So I'm going to give you as much information as I possibly can, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. I will drop a, a timestamp below in case you want to skip this, but I, as always, I want to give a shout out to my wonderful, wonderful patrons. Donna, Donna Irebler. Uh, Laurie Holmes, Zachary Reese, Kimberly Jolly, uh, Kate Willett, Lauren Kirk, Sarah Carney, Andrea Lee, Tabora Summers Cooper, Stephanie Mertz, Demelza Pasco. Thank you so much. And if I mispronounced anyone's name, I apologize. Correct me below. I'm, I'm learning. Uh, the accent sometimes muddles everything. And also to my wonderful, wonderful channel members, Flame Lily, Hippie Dotson, Kimmy Middleton, Joe Guitar, Katrina Middleton, Enigma X, Sherry Hendricks, Maybe Sunshine, and Stephanie Mertz. Again, thank you all so much. If you would like to join my patrons or my wonderful um, channel members, link to uh, join the channel right down below next to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed, please hit that now. It really helps the channel. Also, give smash that thumbs up to get me into the YouTube algorithm so that we can bring more people to the channel. And if you want to join my Patreon, I'll link it up here, and there's a link below. So, with all that being aside, let's jump into it. Jason Mao. And yes, a different setting. I'm not at my Nana's house. I'm at my house. I'm in the sunroom because there's no one else home. Well, my wife is here. She's in the back. She designs Minecraft maps. She has the coolest job. Second coolest next to her, hanging out with you guys. But she's in the back doing that, so all alone. Figured I could knock this out here in the sunroom. And so that's the reason for the different setting. Also, I just washed and tried to dry my uh, dry my hair. Normally my hair dries naturally. And I know I look like Rob Zombie. But just ignore that. And let's get into the twisted world of Jason Mao. Very fitting that I would have a Rob Zombie haircut. Uh, anyway, so Jason is an unusual character, to say the least. Uh, we know him as supposedly the former military police, former police officer that sealed Chad and Lori beyond the veil before they were even divorced or widowed <clears throat> from their uh, living significant others. But what is he exactly? Where did he come from? What mysterious planet did he hatch from? So we're going to find out at least to the best of my ability. As I said, there are not a, you know, there's not a complete biographical record. Uh, Chad is the only one with enough uh, arrogance to write his own biography. So we don't know where he came from. We only know what I can piece together from sleuthing on the internet. And that's what I'm going to go with. So I figured a good place to start would be with his own biography, whether it was written by him or just someone that works for him, 
the biography you will see next to his books on Amazon. So I'm going to start there. I'm going to read it paragraph by paragraph, and I'm going to either debunk or back up each paragraph with facts and receipts that I've been able to find. So we're going to start there. Uh, first of all, he has been married twice. His current wife is Nikki Wood Mao. There uh, are lots of pictures of her on the internet. I'll drop a few here. And he, we know he was married for a while to a woman by the name of Linda Mao. Not much on her on the internet. She disappeared from Facebook. She disappeared from the internet as far as I can see. She's either remarried or gone back to her maiden name. But she has absolutely wiped herself from the internet. Can't say I blame her with everything that's going on. But I do know that she was also a police officer in the Arizona area and is supposedly the one that left Jason Mao when he suffered his huge injury that he tweeted about and talked about on the podcast that we overheard, that we listened to with him and uh, uh, Lori and Melanie. So we do know that much, but beyond, I don't know a whole lot about his spouse. It's just that he's been married twice. Jason was born in Arizona around Mesa, Mesa. Sorry. Uh, he attended Mesa High School, where he supposedly lettered in uh, football, wrestling, and track. He sang in the a cappella choir, and also a, mem a member of the LDS High School Seminary Council, and also advanced to the rank of Eagle Scout when it comes to scouting, and supposedly was just very active in the community with public service and scout stuff. After graduating from high school, he said he refused a college scholarship to serve a two-year mission in Spokane, Washington, now for the church. Now, I couldn't find any evidence to dispute his record at, in high school or as an Eagle Scout. I mean, there's no public record of that that I can find. I also do know that he did serve a two-year mission in Spokane, Washington, but whether or not he refused a college scholarship to do it, I can't prove that or disprove that. So I leave that to you guys to whether you believe it or whether you don't. I can't prove nor disapprove, nor disapprove it. Now here's where we're getting into the information I can kind of tick away at and kind of bring the truth out. After his two-year mission, we know that he joined the U.S. Army and was in the Army for about eight years. And he says he served as a MP and a, par and a paratrooper. Supposedly, he rose to the military ranks and ended up teaching hand-to-hand -hand combat as a battle instructor. Uh, he served on a federal counter-narcotics task force, worked, at, worked as a bodyguard for uh, foreign heads of state and high-ranking military members, and as a combat team leader, deployed to hostile areas to support troops overseas, probably Iraq, Afghanistan. And supposedly the culmination of his military career was when he served not only as an MT, but as a member of the Army SRT, Special Reactions Team. And it is an elite unit tasked with conducting hostage rescue message, message, missions and counterterrorism operations. Let's do this. Did he join the Army and spend eight years in? Yes, that is absolutely true, and thank you for your service, Jason. However... Was he this elite combat specialist that trained others and supported troops in the mainstay of the worst parts of Afghanistan and Iraq? I can't prove that. Why? 
because if you simply take a look at Jason Mao's photo, army photo, one of his army photos, which we're going to look at in just a minute, it becomes quite clear that he's exaggerating a few things. Now, first of all, let's talk about paratrooper versus airborne assault or airborne versus airborne assault, two very different things. Air assault is a fairly new part of the airborne special forces. They became more prominent during the Vietnam War. They are specialists at entering a combat zone and extracting people with what is known as FRIES, fast rope insertion extraction, meaning they come in on helicopters, usually not airplanes. They don't actually parachute as standard, though they do parachute, but most of the time they come in on choppers and they use ropes to extract and insert items by hanging it from the bottom of the air, uh, the helicopter. And when the helicopter lands, it actually lands in the middle of a combat area or the extraction area, troops hop out. They use their weapons to guard the perimeter while troops or objects they're trying to extract from a, a war zone are loaded into the helicopter they defend the perimeter while that's happening and then if they are staying the helicopter lifts off without them if they are going they re-enter the helicopter and they take off they are badasses they are complete and utter badasses so that's airborne assault airborne simply refers to somebody that has been through the basic airborne jump school now mainly mean they are paratroopers basic paratroopers airborne normally fly in on planes they parachute in they complete their mission and they are probably extracted by airborne assault at some other point along the mission they are also badasses i don't want anybody to think that just because somebody is airborne versus airborne assault there's any difference they are still badasses whereas airborne assault just goes flying into the fray either by helicopter parachute or repelling which is basically launching down rock or other formations with ropes and sometimes airplane but most of the time it's helicopter or some other way they go into the fray by ever how many whatever means is necessary to get into the fray airborne is a little more exact they have to be a little more because they are literally a, a plane is flying over they drop to a certain height based on the safety of the jump or the logistics of the jump and the paratroopers or airborne paratroopers jump from the plane and if they've planned it well all the parachutes come down in a designated perimeter they land they deal they take they unhook their parachutes or refold whatever the premises of they're doing and they actually huff it or hump it run jog move to a designated meeting place and complete their mission if any part of that goes wrong they're effed. So, whereas airborne assault just goes into the fray, there's a little bit more room for error there because they're there and they usually have an extraction vehicle that can get them out a little bit faster than airborne paratroopers because they are literally left in an area. And if anything goes wrong, they're messed up. So, it both of them are valued parts. But the thing of it is, you can get your airborne or paratrooper badge 
without ever having completed an actual active jump. Their uh, airborne school normally takes place, and it's ran by the 1st Battalion Airborne 507th Infantry at Fort Benning, Georgia. And most of the time people take the basic airborne course, which is open to both men and women that meet certain standards, and they are taught the art of parachuting. Once they complete this course, they are considered a paratrooper. But you can, you can get this badge by completing your designated amount of jumps, usually five. I have people uh, that I was in the Army with that were airborne and airborne assault, and I was never, I cooked, <laughs> just to put that out there. But they caught, there were certain people they called five jump jumps which means they completed the course, they did their five designated jumps to get their badge, but they never parachuted after that. I can't really find any evidence that Jason Mao ever did a jump beyond what he had to do to get his paratrooper badge. Now, yes, he was airborne, and he was an airborne. He was a paratrooper, but he was not airborne assault. So the chances of him being dropped right into the fray to prepare special backups to these war-torn areas, very unlikely. Now, more proof of that. Let's take a look. Here we have a military picture of Jason Mao in full camouflage combat gear. Now, two things to notice. Here, we see he does have the maroon beret of the airborne anybody that people that have come soldiers that have completed the airborne school will receive this beret they're technically airborne paratroopers but that is not an airborne assault beret there's no airborne assault insignia on it more importantly here you see his paratrooper badge that is very clearly a paratrooper badge not a airborne assault badge so yeah the chances are him doing the kind of tough man work that he said, not that being airborne, I want you to understand the difference between airborne assault and airborne. Airborne assault would go in and do the kind of special operations that he's talking about. Airborne would most likely parachute in as part of a larger operation, if that makes sense. So his chances of doing all the wonderful things that he told us about are slim based on this evidence. Also, he talked about being a member of the Special Reaction Team, SRT. Now, he was an MP. That is definitely, he went to airborne school. He did his five jumps. No evidence if he ever jumped beyond that. But he did become an MP, and he also talked about becoming part of the Special Reactions Team. Now, Special Reactions Team is the best comparison I can give you is SWAT. They are the comparison of a military form of SWAT. And as you know, SWAT teams handle things that are a little more elevated than a normal MP. A normal MP would do things like guard a base, uh, guard in the military court system, do other things, just like regular law enforcement in the civilian world, and it's open to people of all ranks. But when you get into the SRT, usually you have more ranked enlisted men and officers in that branch, and they do things like handle, like we talked about Fort Hood, all the issues they've had at Fort Hood. Most likely it was SRT that handled the shooting at Fort Hood. They handle things like that, you know, a, uh, a hostage or a terrorist type situation on base. 
more things like that. However, the way he's framing is it, if they were special operations that went in to help other troops know their special function would be only to guard the base and handle any special elevated situations. Like you wouldn't put a normal patrolman on getting a hostage out of a building on base. You would call SRT, which is military SWAT. Now, him saying that he was a commander of the SRT, I have to call BS on that because normally SRT commanders start at the rank of E6. This is E5. This is a sergeant. This is a buck sergeant, uh, more commonly known in the Army. And normally, SRTs have to be the rank of E6, which would be a staff sergeant. Also, you rank, if you spent eight years in the military, you should be an E6 quite easily by the end of four or five years. So it's kind of shocking that if he's done all the wonderful things that he said he's done, why he's only an E5. Yeah, I don't know what, this could have been taken at a point, you know, you know, not as far into his enlistment, but I just think it's unusual that, you know, he's an E5 still after eight years, when most of the time you would be at least an E6. And E6 is a staff sergeant, and there would be another little ring under here if he was a staff sergeant. The promotion from slick sleeve or regular private to or buck private to private for to private to full pri to full private to private first class to corporal to E5 buck sergeant or sergeant is normally based on unit unit standards. That is, it's just a set of standards that you have to meet to reach that rank, and it's you have to serve a certain time in the army. You have to have a high school diploma or the equivalency. You have to have generally a clean conduct record. Now, to advance beyond that, when you get from go from E5 to E6, it's based on the entire Army. You know, nationwide competition, you have to meet even further standards such as combat versus non-combat, um, conduct, professionalism, uh, you know, ability to command. So to break through that barrier to E6 is a lot more stringent. Now we know Jason Mao, when he was a police officer, had issues in both his both of his police officer jobs. He had disciplinary problems. So I'm willing to bet that those just didn't spring up when he was a police officer, that he had those in the army, and that probably prevented his promotion to E6. I'm just guessing. But anyway, that's how I feel about his his overall military service. Again, thank you for your service, Jason. Even if you just cooked like me for two years at a at a uh, officer's candidate school, you served. You served. If you were ever in it, you definitely deserve credit. Anybody that ever signed those enlistment papers and got and and served deserves credit. So I'm not taking away from that, Jason. I'm just expounding on what you're claiming because. Yeah, I think common decency should let that should let you be known should should cover me there. So let's get back to it. After leaving the army in 1998, he became a police officer for the city of Chandler, Arizona, and then later the Phoenix Police Department, 
where he was medically retired in 2017 after being critically wounded in the line of duty. During his career as a police officer, Jason has worked as a patrol officer, gang de detective, narcotics detective, field training officer, academy instructor, firearms teacher, and was a member of the SWAT team, where he was a point man and lead instructor. Okay, let's talk about this. As far as Chandler, all I can say that he was a uniformed police officer. He was a uniformed police officer. That's all we know. We know that he was part of an investigation where he was uh, reprimanded several times for writing sloppy, inefficient reports and just generally derelict in his duty. That doesn't sound like me. Someone that would become a high-ranking officer. Uh, doesn't sound like somebody that would be tasked with uh, helping the uh, SWAT team or commanding the SWAT team or teaching anybody. We know that he was part of a two-fold investigation. One, there was an officer that had pulled over a, a lady to ask her out. He got reprimanded for that. And then that same investigation was Jason Mao's uh, sloppy report. Uh, led me to believe that maybe Jason wrote up some report, you know, adhering to this this investigation of this other officer that was sloppy or somehow inept. So we know that he resigned uh, just prior to facing disciplinary action as a result of that and somehow got a job with Phoenix. Now, I can't say that he was or was not part of SWAT. I could not find that. You know, he, for, for if he was part of SRT, he wasn't a commander in SRT. We've already proven that just by rank. But we know he was an MP, so if he was at any point a member of SRT, I'm just disputing the fact he wasn't a commander, he might have been part of SWAT. But with somebody coming on with the disciplinary record that he had, I can't imagine that, but I don't know. We do know that in 2016-2017, he was supposedly chasing a, a perpetrator and and had an injury which resulted in his tendons basically separating from the bones and the muscle. Um, very unusual type of injury, especially to the degree that he he described. Uh, but we do know he claims it happened, and there was a lawsuit and, and, and kind of a rigmarole with Phoenix because they were saying it was a pre-existing condition. Now, being that he was a paratrooper and completed at least five jumps... I would say that most likely the injury happened virtue of his military service, not necessarily because he was chasing a bad guy down an alley. But I'm not a doctor. I don't know. That's just my opinion. So he was medically retired, and that's supposedly when he reached the lowest point in his life. He was living with his mom. Linda left him, who was also a police officer. Um, something tells me she left because of the BS, but you know what? Whoever. And this was the time he started to write his books, The Warrior Ethos, which we read book one about Moroni. And supposedly after he was all healed up and in the midst of writing his books, which were published by um, Daybell, by Springfield Book Company, uh, he also decided to tell of his further adventures in Afghanistan and uh, Iraq, when in 2006... Even prior to becoming a police officer, he says he was recruited by the Department of State with a military contractor 
to serve in an international narcotics and law enforcement program. He said he spent 13 months in Afghanistan working with the military, teaching Afghan soldiers how to be police officers, destroying poppy fields, fighting human smuggling, all kinds of stuff. Now, I can tell you this because I dated someone that was a Blackwater contractor during the first Gulf War, or just after the first Gulf War, in Afghanistan, or Iraq, rather. So... I can tell you that they were always hungry for contractors, so the fact you were recruited isn't a real big thing, because if you were breathing and had a pulse and had experience and didn't have a pre-existing condition that would require a lot of medical care, they would take you. I could have easily gone over there and cooked as part of one of the contracted units and probably made close to six figures tax-free. But... I can tell you that, yes, some of those contractors did train the police over there. They did serve as bodyguards, but the way he made it sound is that he was actually engaged in combat as part of one of these contractors, contracting companies. That would never happen. These guys provide support when the Army or the Marines or whomever goes in and takes a target. These people are then dropped to guard it after it's been taken. So there's, they are, they're miles behind the line of combat. So anything he talked about being in combat with these things is totally false. Now, don't think that these are just mercenary soldiers. They're support. They're mercenaries, but they are support for the military that's already there. Don't think Benghazi and the movie 13 Hours. Yes. Benghazi, those contractors, did wage war because they had to. They were there guarding what was supposedly a soft target, a soft take, and then hell, all hell broke loose and they ended up having to fight insurgents trying to retake it. And because they didn't get enough military support, don't get me into that because I will just, I'll go off. So don't get him confused with the movie 13 Hours. Yes, those contractors did wage war because they had to but that is not standard they don't send these contractors into the fray so then we jump back to his him recovering from you know his surgery after being medically retired from the phoenix police force and he started writing the writing the a warrior ethos uh you know published by chad daybell he w wrote several more books and then went on as a motivational speaker and circuit speaker from, at many of the preparing of people meetings, as well as many of VAL type of gatherings, as well as just LDS conferences, because his books taught what they thought what was considered good morals and good character to young men and women, when in fact he was just teaching them that they may have to kill people for Christ one day. And... So that's how he started to make his living. He then got, uh, after Daybell had been the one publishing his first few books, he then got mixed up with him. He got mixed up with Lori and Melanie, was supposedly the one that married them and, you know, sealed them beyond the veil, even though they had two living spouses. And I think this is the most telling. If you look at the creed that he has as part of his books it's almost word for word the soldier's creed what the the army and most of the armed forces have you take 
it's actually almost word for word. So he stole the army's, the, the soldiers' creed for his creed. And finally, um, I think beyond anyone, he is probably the one that brought the whole idea of zombies into this whole fringe religion. I'm not saying he actually walked up to Chad Daybell and said, hey, I believe people can be possessed and become zombies. But I think he had perhaps lived it and breathed it enough that maybe he mentioned he was working on a certain movie that was literally about children that disappeared and came back as zombie. In 2013, he was a technical advisor on the movie Speak No Evil, which is a low-budget um, horror film. I will drop a little clip that I that came as part of one of my previous uh, deep dives into this subject. I'll drop that here that better explains that movie. You two doing any what? Any illegal drugs? My daughter was taken from my home tonight. You lost her. You lost her. They're all gone. All the kids in the oh. town are gone. Damn it, Dale! I need your help. You're gonna get you to heaven. Everybody's coming for us, are they? Whoever does. And here is the IMDb listing for Speak No uh, Speak No Evil. Right here. 2013 movie. So this is way before the incidents of this happened. And around the time Mr. Daybell started bringing that into his theology. But you see here, Jason Mao played a police officer in the movie. He was also the technical and safety advisor. And he has no other entries. But he was, in fact, on the movie. So. And finally, that brings us up to the present, where he has basically disemboweled himself from everything to do with Chad Daybell, Melanie Gibb, Lori Vallow. He actually was cited via some emails in the um, Chandler, Arizona area, uh, reasoning that he had actually reached out trying to purchase a used Jeep Wrangler around the time that Charles Vallow had been murdered, and then, you know, his Jeep ended up trying to take out Brandon Boudreaux and so that, you know, Tylee had been driving. And so he has some very incriminating evidence where he was looking to buy a Jeep Wrangler. I'm not saying that means anything, but it's just a coincidence, if you know what I mean. Um, supposedly, he was in Montana giving a speech the week that JJ went missing. We do know that. And finally, we bring another person into this whole mishmash of crap uh, in the form of Zulema Pastaninis or Pastinis, who was Alex Cox's wife of just a few weeks when Alex suddenly died of, a, of natural causes. We do know that Zulema was a new age kind of guru that, and counselor that helped people conquer demons. Now, this ties into other rumors, but I'm going to have to mention them here, that Alex and Brandon Boudreaux were seen at gay bars around uh, Arizona, and supposedly Zulema was helping Alex, at least, overcome uh, his attraction to the same sex, that supposedly she was trying to fix him. I can tell you, having been, having been subjected to conversion therapy, that crap don't work. 
But uh, anyway, he uh, supposedly she was helping Alex overcome same-sex attraction. Uh, possibly Brandon, though we don't know for sure. And she was also counseling Jason Mao. Now, this had nothing to do with gay conversion therapy or him being seen at gay bars, but supposedly he had some dark forces that pawed at him, and she was trying to help him overcome that. And to this day, he claims that he was never part of the insane clown crew, but we know that he was. He was business associates with uh, Chad Daybell. He had podcasts with Lori and Melanie. Uh, the whole zombie connection. He was going to the same counselor as Alex Cox and Brandon Boudreaux. So, yeah. He knew him. He was part of the Insane Clown group. No offense to the Insane Clown Posse. All right. That's what I, what I was able to ascertain in the world of Jason Mao. I'm sure there's a lot more out there, but that's all I could actually find in print to talk about. I will continue to try to research it and hope come up with some more information, but for now, that's what I got. And until next time, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Keto Comic.